So welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I'm your host, Tatiana Kasesinov. And my guest today is Bertie Ekperigin. It's lovely to have you, Bertie. Thanks for taking the time to come and talk to me today. Thank you for inviting me, Tatiana. <laughs> so, um, Ekperigin's an interesting name. Um, as, uh, as the champion of the Difficult Name Society, <laughs> I'd like to know where that came from. It's, it's a little exotic-sounding. I, I wasn't born with that name. Uh, I got married about, I guess it's about 27, 28 years ago. And uh, my ex-husband, uh, the name's uh, French-African. Okay, okay, so if, if I go to France, for example, they can say the name no problem. Everywhere else, no one else can seem to say it or spell it. So. <laughs> Me probably included, but you know, I don't think I've ever had mine either spelled or said properly. So I, I totally sympathize and empathize yeah. with that. Anyway, it's lovely to have you here. It's a real, real pleasure. And um, just to introduce you a little bit to our, to our listeners, um, Bertie is a rapid transformational hypnotherapist. And she was one of Marissa Peer's very, very first cohort of students. So she qualified back in 2015. Um, that was after she'd already been working for 15 years as a personal trainer and a coach. But she switched her careers um, at the age of 53 and has never looked back. She's the mother of three gorgeous children and lives and works from London and Cheltenham. So welcome, Bertie. Um, I'd be really interested to know what, what happened that, that made you switch from being a personal trainer to a hypnotherapist. Sounds like there's an interesting story there. And we're all about stories. So tell me. <laughs> yeah, there is a story there. Uh, I was very lucky to meet Marissa Peer. I met her in my gym and um, got her in slightly better shape because she came in good shape anyway, slightly better shape for her wedding day, which I think was about eight years ago. I met Marissa, uh, we became friends. And when she was starting up her hypnotherapy school, she mentioned it to me and it had been on my mind anyway that this might be something that I wanted to do because I had already had my own session with Marissa and she'd made such a difference in my life. I became really fascinated by hypnotherapy. So when she said, I'm starting my own school, are you interested? I jumped at the chance. It's like sometimes these things just happen that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the teacher showed up just when I was ready to walk down a different path. Um, it was perfect timing for me. But oftentimes I've experienced maybe, maybe that wasn't the case with you or maybe it was. We'll find out. But oftentimes I've experienced that, that healers um, usually have to go through a period of healing their own lives before they come to healing others. Was that also your, your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my session with Marissa made me understand so much about myself. I, that I hadn't really been aware of. I think I'd always been on a sort of uh, spiritual journey, let's call it, where I was uh, evolving and becoming a better person. But I hadn't really understood why I had so much anxiety, why I was always worrying about everything. And my session with her really helped me to understand so much more about my own personality and I think the, the shift in myself that was created from that session 
really convinced me that hypnotherapy is such a powerful tool to create change in people's lives. And I so wanted to be part of that for others. If you've suffered with something and then you get freedom from it, it sort of gives you that huge passion and desire to not save the world, but find other people that have these same issues as you and help them break free as well. So it was my suffering really that took me to that place of wanting to help others. So you're right. Yeah, that's, um, that's often the way it happens. And mm. I think that those make the best healers because, you know, they can, they can empathize with their clients and see into them. And I think in this business too, it's all about the relationship, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, I saw Marissa for um, public speaking really, because I was just overwhelmingly terrified of it. I mean, I would shake, I couldn't form words. I was freaked out by it. And on the outside in my real life, when I wasn't trying to be a public speaker per se, I was a confident person. It just didn't make sense. I avoided all kinds of um, opportunities to speak. Uh, for example, I became a godmother to a friend's child and I said, I'll do anything for this child, but don't ask me to speak at the christening. I mean, I was terrified. So I spent probably two years going to Toastmasters. I don't know if you know of Toastmasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a wonderful organization that helps people overcome this fear. I spent two years going there and I, I made progress. I even became vice president of my group, but I couldn't get to the bottom of my fear. It would sometimes be really bad, sometimes just about under control. And seeing Marissa helped me understand what was going on. And it was like a miracle happened. I was sort of just over it. Once I understood why, it, it just became something that I used to be. She erased it from my mind and I went back to Toastmasters with a very different way of being and acting and speaking and yeah, amazing. We've heard a lot that, that um, I mean, I think it's a pretty, pretty established fact in the field that uh, fear of public speaking is the number one phobia. And of course, that has to have something to do with this idea of being judged by the people around you. Um, so I don't know, I don't want to, to go too much into, into anywhere that's uncomfortable for you, but perhaps it's, it would be great for the listeners if you could try and show them your journey, how that, how that, where that came from, where, where that grew from and how, yeah. and how you dealt with it. Yeah, no, I, look, it's a very common phobia um, and many people will do anything rather than speak up. Uh, they often say people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. You know, it's, yeah. it's such a huge fear for most people. People don't feel confident to speak up. They don't want to be seen by anyone else. And I think some of that's about rejection, being judged and having people... Um, see who they really are uh, and that that freaks people out and it definitely did that for me I, I didn't believe in myself I didn't believe I was good enough um, I had a lot of negative thoughts about myself uh, I just compared myself to everyone else that everyone else was better than me so I had a lot of that going on um, but I don't think it was 
it was that at the end of the day. I mean, I will tell you a little bit about my session with Marissa because I'm not ashamed of it. I think um, it's really interesting and, and it's certainly something that I've seen again and again as I help other people. Um, so I will tell you a little bit. Uh, my personality, if you like, formed dramatically at age seven. And I then became someone who was afraid to be at the front of the room speaking, um, afraid of humiliation, shame, and um, being exposed um, as, let's say, stupid, okay? And the reason for that was, um, is that at seven years of age, my teacher, my primary school teacher, called me to the front of the, the classroom because I was speaking when I wasn't supposed to be and slapped me on the leg really hard. And I was so freaked out by it and her shouting at me and telling me I was a stupid girl and don't ever speak again when, I'm, when I've told you to be quiet. I then wet myself in front of the whole class. It's, and that was, I know, that instant, that moment, which can you imagine probably didn't take more than a minute or two, then had a profound effect on the rest of my life. That's so what I meant what, by extraordinary. That, that, yeah, it's extraordinary. Single, just a single event. I mean, we, we hear yes. a lot about people having continual trauma or... Mm. You know, but it, it can really just be that simple. It can be just a single event is enough to just switch something yeah. over in your mind. Yeah. And it's the thing is, it wasn't that I didn't know about it because a part of me did know about that. But I had never associated it with my fear of being at the front of the room and all eyes on me. I had never tied the two things together. And when Marissa did that for me and helped me to see why I was afraid, I just let go of it. It was miraculous, instantaneous. It, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, so you can see why I got really passionate about helping other people break free from their programming, their conditioning, the thing that has stopped them, if you like, being who they want to be in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. You talked a little bit before about anxiety. Um, curiously enough, this, this morning I was, uh, I was at the hairdressers and my hairdresser, as hairdressers do, they chat a lot, was telling me that he was amazed by how many young people, because obviously a lot of the hairdressers are, are, are in their 20s that he works with, um, are actually on medication for anxiety. I mean, anxiety is an absolute epidemic. You know, we've only got to see how many people are taking psychoactive mm. medication for depression and anxiety. But even I hadn't been aware how profound this is at such an early age. I mean, we're talking about people in their mid twenties. Yeah. Um, is that where you first noticed anxiety starting to be an issue for you? Is that what you see with your clients? I'm not sure if I remember being anxious in my twenties. I remember worrying a lot. I remember being a worrier. I mean, my mother worried. I became a worrier. My father sort of had um, a very negative outlook. Things would go wrong. And I picked that up from him. So I, I, I was that way, I was anxious, but not in the way you see people today. 
I think that for young people, life's much tougher. For some reason, they're under much more pressure. Um, I don't remember it being that bad for me. I, I think maybe social media does that. Everybody seems to be having a better life than, than yourself. You know, we didn't have that when I was younger. We weren't bombarded with the perfect world and how everybody else is doing and how they're living. Um, I was watching the news as well and I saw a piece on exam stress and GCSEs and the lady was saying they should be banned GCSEs because stress starts for children in school. You know, they, they learn early on that they're not clever or not smart enough or, you know, they're going to be a failure if they don't pass these exams. It's a terrible thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty early on. I mean, sort of to, to yeah. decide your fate. <laughs> <laughs> sort yeah. of 15, 16 seems seems fairly uh, uh, yeah it's just it's just so wrong you know exam exams don't suit everybody not everyone uh, is good at exams and it, I don't think it really makes any difference on your life at all you know some of the most successful people and they're they're they speak up they say you know I didn't get a single GCSE and yet I'm a successful person um, they just find what they're good at and they focus on that and there's just so much i don't know pressure on young people um it's just so unnecessary um yeah so actually i came up with something that uh, maybe i could share that with uh, the listeners today yes, please go ahead and do that yeah um i on my website i have some recordings uh, for people with specific fears and phobias and I made one for uh, young people with exam stress. And uh, I decided just to give it away. Like anybody can go download this audio for free. Well, we'll put um, the, uh, Bertie's link on, on the podcast yeah. notes and uh, go Please do. Because we're right in the middle of exam time. So yeah, I know. That's a perfect timing because I know that's a yeah. very stressful experience for so many young people. Yeah, when you can reprogram your subconscious mind to relax and to be focused and to enjoy revision, which is what I say in my recording. It really makes a difference. I, I gave the recording away last year to a few people and they were so overwhelmed by the change in their children. Um, it was so wonderful to hear that these kids just lightened up. And um, oh, one, mother, one mother said to me that her she'd normally have to shake her son out of bed in the morning because he, he just wouldn't get out of the bed. And it wasn't long he had the recording and she went into his room. He was on the bed, fully dressed, his bag ready and plugged into my audio. <laughs> and she said it was just a sight to behold. He was ready to go. And I just said, that you, you have no idea how happy that makes me. So um, if your listeners want to download my audio, it's completely free currently until the end of may but i may extend that as well okay there is a password but maybe you want to just type that up um, so that people can find it it's stress-free anyway um, okay we'll definitely add that into uh into the notes thanks for doing that that's a that's a great gift to the listeners um so tell me a little bit more about your story so um you know you you worked you you had this this problem which which marissa really helped you with what what actually was then what made you decide at that point that um, that you wanted to go off in a different direction with your own life and move away from being a personal trainer and more into the therapist? What was it that, yeah. that pushed you in that direction? 
I think probably I realized there was much more to uh, well-being, if you like, than uh, physical fitness. I'd spent a lot of years helping people to get physically fit. And because I, I guess I was passionate about physically, being physically fit. But I realized that there was so much more to well-being than physical fitness. You know, I, I, I helped my clients change their diets and they were eating well, they were exercising well. But I now believe that having mental fitness is much, uh, much more superior than fitness, physical fitness. If you can find mental fitness, and that means being in control of your negative emotions so that they don't spiral out of control, then you can have a much better quality of life. So I, I think it was just that I learned so much about myself and had this desire and uh, real passion to help people get to where I'd got to, um, that I just realized it was time for a shift. Um, and as much as I loved personal training and loved the energy of that and being in the gym with my clients, I just knew that I had another calling and that I'd really found my true purpose in life. And it was to help people on a whole nother level. Um, I did both for a while. <laughs> I, I, I did balance both out, sort of testing the water and seeing, you know, is this really for me? Can I really do it? Um, and in the end, it just became an obvious switch. Uh, my clients knew I was going to leave at the end of the day and uh, sort of dreaded that moment, but it came last year. So I've not, I've not looked back. Yeah. So we talk a lot about here on, on London Heal about the mind, body, spirit, all being important to, to mm. wellness. But um, in as much as when they work together well, you have wellness. When, they, when there's a dysfunction, you have illness. Is that something that you also personally experienced in, in your life, that, that, that a negative or a yes. incorrect mental state can also negatively affect your health? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like years and years ago, maybe it was 11, 12 years ago, I grew a tumor on my lung and I was very ill. And I truly believe that I, not purposely, because no one purposely creates illness in their body, I believe that the anxiety and the worrying and the stress in my life somehow created this tumor. Um, I was not miserable. My life wasn't terrible. I won't say that, but I wasn't happy. And this tumor manifested itself over a process of years. And when it was removed, I decided that I needed to look at my life differently, that living very stressfully and living in, an, in a way that wasn't making me happy had to end. You know, I needed to prioritize myself and what I needed and wanted from life. And I had to make some changes. So, yeah, I believe that stress and worrying creates a physical impact on the body. And I've met many people since who absolutely agree with that, um, that they too made themselves ill in some way. Again, not purposely. No one would do that to themselves. No, I think um, that's very important never to apportion blame. Um, mm. Nobody would do that voluntarily. And it's, and it's not like you've done anything wrong because, I mean, I think in this instance, ignorance really is an excuse because I think a lot of people are just unaware of, of 
you know, the negative impact that a, that a, um, a bad state of, of mental health can have, you know, you're yeah. bathing your whole body and all of those stress hormones all day long. Yes. It makes sense yeah. when you think about it, but you're not aware of it when you're in it. That's the problem, isn't it? Well, I was in stress response the whole time. So my body became exhausted from it. And that's, I guess, when illness can start to manifest inside you, um, you know, I don't know if I'd been, I would have got ill again if I hadn't changed things in my life. I don't know, but I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was looking after my physical health really well. So I was eating well, I was exercising. I was doing everything one would do physically to stay well, but mentally I was not well. And, you know, emotionally I was not well. And that's how it, it, it formed in my body. Um, I guess some people would argue that that's not possible, but for me, it's my truth. And I really believe that to be true, that on some emotional level, I created that. I'm happy to say that it's all behind me and I'm in great health today. And, mm. and I prioritize my emotional health. You know, that's way more important than going to the gym. Um, I think how the, the evidence, though, is, is undeniable these days that, that, you know, living in a constant state of stress is definitely not good for you, whether, you know, perhaps perhaps the medical profession isn't quite as far that they actually say it causes disease. But I think, you know, that even they are comfortable saying certainly with things like, you know, heart disease and stuff that stress is a significant factor. Um, yes, I think they're they're going to catch up with with what we're observing <laughs> at yeah. some point in time. So, Bertie, tell me what kind of um, what kind of clients do you do you really really work with? Where do where do you specialize? What's your focus of attention? Because you know you've obviously experienced so many different things yourself to do with this anxiety, fear of not being enough, fear of being seen, yes. being at the front. Yeah. Who do you focus your attention on these days, and how can you help them? I, well, to begin with, I thought I'd just have a go at everything. <clears throat> I think that I just thought, well, I'm, I've got lots of experience and I want to help lots of types of people and I'll just do it all. And <clears throat> I realized afterwards that actually it's best to focus on things that, um, that really mean something to me, that I'm really connected to, that I really understand the pain of my clients. And for me, that is, as I've already said, anxiety issues fears and phobias, and also, um, yeah, so not being able to be visible, not being able to be heard, not feeling good enough, and, you know, raising confidence in people because I wasn't a very confident person. Um, that's taken me a long time to, to get to where I want to be. Of course, I want to be more confident. What happens when you're chasing confidence is that you keep moving towards your potential, so you keep moving the, the bar, if you like, higher and going, well, I want more. So for me, it's, it's about helping people that I really understand, uh, people who live in fear, live with stress, uh, live without confidence. And also, I think people who are middle-aged as well, I like working with women who have maybe come out of a relationship like I did, and they're in their late 40s, early 50s, and believe that life's over that love isn't available to them anymore because um, I know it is. So, and I know it's about mindset. This is about getting your mind into a new space and 
being positive about your future. So I like to help people who've gone through a lot of pain in that area as well. And the, um, the process that you use is, is Marissa's RTT process. So um, how does, can you explain to the, the uh, listeners, I think a lot of people actually, first of all, have quite a lot of anxiety about hip, hypnosis. You know, they think yeah. it's going to make them do weird things. We, we've talked a bit about that on the show in, the, in past episodes, but could you maybe just briefly outline why this is such a powerful technique and why it's actually effective so quickly yeah um look i think hypnotherapy is a wonderful form of therapy really really uh helps people to get to their issues very quickly i have nothing against talking therapy or all other kinds of therapy but for me hypnotherapy really reaches the parts very quickly uh, particularly RTT. I think Marissa has honed her skills and has developed her technique so well and now shared it with, you know, her, her graduates. And RTT is, well, it's called rapid transformational therapy for a reason. It's rapid, you know, it's, it's quick. It, it doesn't have to be long and drawn out. People can have success at overcoming some issues like claustrophobia, for example, or fear of flying or fear of snakes in one session. It, it can be just ended, put to bed, as it were. It's over. That's phenomenal. One session and, and you've dealt with it. I mean, you know, so I love that it's rapid. Um, this is a great approach. Why drag something out for weeks and weeks and weeks when you can have a fix that quick? Um, you said yourself earlier that, I mean, in your, in your own case, with your, with your fear of public speaking, that, that what was the kind of linchpin for you was being able to actually kind of make that connection. Is, is, do you think that's yes. where that, that speed factor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it exactly. You see, when you have RTT, what we actually do, and what's what Marissa did with me eight years ago, is regress the client back to where this belief, this fear, this phobia comes from. That's what she did with me. Took me back to that all-important moment where I decided it was far too scary to be at the front of the room, okay? So I would ask my client, where this fear of being in a lift comes from, you know, and take them back to the moment they decided lifts are scary or um, being, being sat even in the center row of a theater. I mean, some people just can't bear to be in the middle. They, they, they feel terribly trapped and uh, pinned in. So yeah, we, in RTT, we do regression. And that really just means taking clients back to past memories, very much uh, formed in their childhood, as mine was. And there's nothing scary about that. You're just going back to a time in your life that you know, you've already been to. You can't relive it. All you're doing is you're going back and reviewing something to see where this belief came from, where this fear started. Um, yeah. So that's what we do in RTT. We regress the client. Great, yeah, and then once that understanding is there, it's uh, it's it's 
kind of easy, I guess, to move. So, so how do you actually do the, what, what's the process that allows a client? Because once you've understood something, it becomes an intellectual concept, but how do you actually move further on to that so that it becomes a, a new habit or a new way of being, you know? Um, yeah. I think this is the really, you know, this, this part of it's really equally important. The understanding is a huge chunk of it, possibly 60%. All right, that you get the understanding, you know, uh, the hypnotherapist, the RTT therapist helps you manage that in the session. But you have to leave the session with your bespoke recording. And I will say bespoke recording because this recording is uh, not a red script. This is a recording that the RTT therapist makes for the client based on what comes up in the session. Okay, so the client leaves the session with a personalized recording that then they listen to for at least 21 days. And it is 21 days because the mind learns by repetition. To set up these new beliefs, you have to get the mind used to it. It has to learn that this is what you now want and now believe to create a new future. So it's really important listening to the recording. I usually say something to my clients like, um, you wouldn't go to your doctor and get a prescription for antibiotics and then not take the whole course. You know, This is really important, this part of um, the help. Going away, listening to the recording and playing it every day consistently and longer if you want to um, there's nothing to stop you listening to it for months if that's what you want and it makes you feel good um, yeah i say so the same yeah, that, thing to my clients and oftentimes you know when when one comes back and they says you know what i'm fed up of listening to that and then i go okay now you've got it it's it's really you know absolutely yeah. indelibly in the in the old noggin <laughs> yeah, yeah you don't you know when you don't need it anymore exactly, um, exactly. you know sort of some people have said to me god i know what you're going to say next you know <laughs> it's like okay well that's I a good thing you got then. it yeah and I mean, and what a fabulously simple thing just to have to listen to a recording every day without, you know, yeah. no, no things with side effects or pills and yet so super, super effective. Yeah, you're just retraining your emotional mind. Um, and once you retrain the emotional mind to accept that, you know, this is how you want to be, um, you can be a new person with a new personality, you know. What, but that's what we're really doing, I guess, is changing personality um, from someone who was anxious to now someone who's relaxed, you know, someone that was fearful to someone who's now lo no longer fearful and sort of positive and excited about life. Um, you're just reprogramming the, the mind to change, getting rid of old programs and putting in new programming. It's like updating your computer, really. Exactly. Software. You know, why are you running an old program from, you know, age seven when you're 37? It's, it's irrelevant. So just get rid of it, upgrade, and be who you're meant to be today. Fabulous. Well, another thing I'd really like to address, Bertie, because I think that, that you are um, an absolute beacon for that 
that um, this topic is, you know, you, you said yourself that you changed your career uh, in your 50s and nobody can actually see Bertie. But if you go to her website, you'll see lots of photographs of her there. And she just looks absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> um, but I, I'd really like you to talk about that because I think that's a very, very big issue for a lot of women that they get to a certain point in life where they've dedicated themselves you know to a career but also to family and to a partner and you know to all of the other things often to aging parents as well and somehow they sort of get to a point where they kind of suddenly realize that they they've gotten lost and and they don't they they suffer a lot um a lack of confidence or sometimes even the the belief and the desire that that life still has something for them, you know, to offer. Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think, I think that's so common for women my age group. Um, they very much feel sort of uh, replaced. You know, a lot of women do get replaced by uh, a younger, you know, version of themselves. That's, you know, just a fact of life. It's very sad, um, but true. And I think women worry a lot about getting older. They worry about losing their looks, their figure. They feel uh, unable to go back into the workplace and pick up where they left off. You know, women give up a lot for their husbands and their, and their children. And very often they find themselves in their late 40s or early 50s having to rebuild their lives. Um, and that can be really hard. I know I lost my confidence. Um, you know, you, if, you, if you finish working and then you stay at home and look after children and then you try to get back out in the workplace you just feel like it's all left you behind so i guess i've come across it a lot i certainly came across it whilst i was personal training and i, I see a lot of women with this today um, just feeling too old and not attractive anymore and just afraid really that no one will want them you know now they're past a certain age um, that they're not desirable anymore. And I, I just don't believe that's true. I think that actually we, we improve as we get older, you know, like a good bottle of red wine. We actually get better, that the inside of us improves, who we are improves. And that's so much more attractive, you know, than sort of surface things. Obviously, it's, it's nice to be in shape too. It's, it's nice to make the best of yourself. Um, but who you are inside is so much more important. And I really like helping those ladies feel good about themselves, feel comfortable with who they are, because it's just, it's just a thought process, really, getting out of your own way and not being mean to yourself and saying, I'm over the hill, I'm past it. You know, that, that's just negative internal chatter. Um, just switching that to... It's okay to be over 50, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. I'm the best I've ever been um, emotionally. Uh, you know, I don't have to be, I don't have to have the body of a 20 year old. It doesn't matter, you know? So I love helping women my age um, just get out of their own way um, and believe that love is available to them again, because it is. Just because you've been replaced by someone younger, doesn't mean that there aren't men out there that want to date women in their 50s. Of course there are men like that. 
a lot of younger yeah. men, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, like Madonna or anything to go by. Exactly. Age, you know, age should not define us. I really don't think the number's important. I've never been afraid to tell anyone my age and I never will be. I just think it's just a number. You know, um, I don't know if you ever read Marissa's book about um, 10 years younger. Is it called yeah. something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. love that book. You know, being youthful is the key to staying young, thinking young, you know, not saying things like, oh, I'm too old to do that, you know, sort of setting your mind up for feeling old is a bad idea. Um, feeling young and energized and doing things that young people do keeps you young. Absolutely. Uh, that's the approach you should have. You know, never put limitations on yourself and say, I can't do that because I'm too old, you know. Feel young and be young. Wise words. Wise words indeed, Bertie. Wise words. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm, you know, the first one in the queue that says 50 is the, is the new 30. So that's uh, my story and I'm sticking to it. Good for you. <laughs> so Bertie, if there was one message that you would have for people if there was once one change that they could make or you know one bit of advice that you had that would really help set things rolling in a in a new positive direction for people what would that be oh that's so hard to pin it down to one thing (laughs) um gosh i don't know i just think that Let me think, what do I want to share with everyone today? I'm feeling that I want to say something about happiness. I think that people think that they'll be happy when they do a lot of this. I'll be happy when I meet someone, you know. I'll be happy when I get that job. I'll be happy when. Uh, I think that they just delay their own happiness For example, if you can't be happy single, how are you going to be happy when you're with someone in a relationship? I really believe that you can choose to feel happy in the moment. You know, that doesn't mean you don't desire change or desire more things, you know, and you just choosing to be happy with where you are now and not thinking that, Things have to be perfect to be happy because you'll never be happy. You'll be waiting your whole life for happiness. I really believe it's just a choice that you decide to find things to be happy about, which is probably linked to being grateful. So instead of looking at what you don't have, think about what you do have and focusing on that, not thinking about the things you can't do, but thinking about the things you can do. Um, Yeah, I think choosing to be happy with where you are at now, still aspiring to have more, but being content in the now is my, my sharing with you today, I guess. That's great. And that segues very nicely into uh, the three little questions that we always ask at the end of our, <clears throat> excuse me, our episodes. And one of them you've actually answered already, but I'll, I'll ah. it the other two. So um, 
well, I always ask my uh, my guests to how do how do they define and how do they personally find health, happiness, and serenity. So let's go back to health. How do you define health? What does that mean to you, and how do you find it? Health for me is a combination of things. Health is um, having physical fitness. I think it's really important to exercise, um, and that's a can be whatever makes you feel good. That can be walking, that can be running, that can be going to the gym, going to Pilates, going to yoga. Physical fitness is important for health. If you don't look after your body, your body won't look after you. So I think part of health is physical fitness. So it is moving the body and making it work for you. Eating the right food, absolutely important um i'm not someone that's totally rigid so i have like the 80 20 rule so 80 percent of the time i'm eating all the right foods and 20 percent of the time i'm you know having treats and having those other things and and that works for me i never tell anyone to cut out all types of food all of the time a little bit of what you fancy is good for you so so health i believe is looking after your physical fitness and feeding your body good food. Yeah. And keeping out of stress as well. Keeping stress under control for physical fitness. Yeah. What's the other question? <laughs> well, happiness we already talked about. That was, that was your message. Um, what about serenity? Because I would think it's extremely important to, um, to find yeah. those moments of peace and stillness. And I, I refer to it as, as turning down the noise or turning the volume down. What does, what does Bertie do to, to chill and get that little quiet place inside of you? Yeah. Well, probably the greatest thing that anyone can take up for serenity is meditation. And if you haven't already started it, then get started because it just shuts down all that negative internal dialogue, gives you a sense of peace that really nothing else can give you. I don't believe anything else can give you that. It's time out with yourself. It's space. It's time to sit and reflect. And you don't have to sit and do that quietly. Sometimes I've been known to march around St. James's Park doing a walking meditation um, maybe looking a little bit bizarre to other people. Always very entertaining <laughs> but, to the dog walkers. I yeah. Find. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, being in nature really helps to find serenity as well. I think it's really, really hard for people when they start meditating because they, they can't turn their mind down. So they just give up. They think if they can't sit there with no thoughts for 20 minutes, they failed. Um, but you just start small, start with five, 10 minutes. And if you get 30 seconds in that, you know, you're on your way um, and just make it a new habit. It becomes something that you never, ever give up once you get started and you feel the benefits. Um, I will never stop brushing my teeth and never stop meditating. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're things that I do in the morning. That's, that's how I begin my day. So that's how I find serenity. Great. Well, that's a wonderful place to stop. And I really, really thank you, Bertie, very, very much for your wise words and, and tips to people and make, especially making, making women understand that, that 
life goes on and also speaking to the subject of anxiety and feeling not good enough because I think that that's uh, as Marissa always says too it's one of the greatest ills of the world and I'm very grateful that there are loving and caring and people just as yourself who who are out there helping people to get over that and if anyone's interested in getting in touch with Bertie she's a phenomenal therapist we'll have her details posted underneath the podcast and don't forget about her her exam download if any of you have children or uh, university students who are struggling with exams or even a driving test I'm sure that would help with with that too and give you that all information so it just leaves me to say thank you so much Bertie for taking the time really appreciated having you on it's been an absolute pleasure and we've learned a whole lot thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to be here today okay So, dear listeners, that was this week's episode of London Heal. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Looking forward to talking to you next time. And until then, wishing you all health, happiness and serenity.